Welcome to the Crying in My Cheesecake podcast. I am Danielle, your host, and this is episode six of the silent ultrasound series for season two of this podcast. Um, if you have not listened to episodes one, two, three, four, or five, please make sure you do that. If you are listening to this um, on the day that it comes out, I apologize to some of you that may have accidentally listened to the episodes out of order. Um, so I've been trying to be very deliberate in the descriptions to make sure that um, you know which episode is actually first. So I apologize for that. I am still new at trying to figure out this whole season and this um, like series kind of thing, dropping episodes kind of all at once and just letting it go out there. So I apologize for that, but I really appreciate your patience with me and um, eventually we'll figure out how to fix that. Today, um, we are talking about facing the grief. Episode six is all about facing the grief. And if I can be quite honest, I do not feel um, qualified to do this, um, qualified to talk about grief very well. I mean, I, I mean, like almost from my very beginning of like my memories, I think I can remember experiencing grief over and over and over again. Um, my grandparents, three of them passed away, um, almost back to back to back, um, all the, by the time that I was nine. So, and one was a tragic, um, I mean, I guess death is tragic, but one of them was very unexpected, I should say. And so, um, yeah, grief has just been part of my life. A lot of, and then as I have gone through a lot of therapy and a lot of um, personal growth work, I learned that grief isn't just about death of people. It's also about like the death or ending of maybe what you thought was or should have been or the the death or grieving of, you know, a friendship that may have gone south or not is no longer supportive or, you know, grief is not just about death, I guess, is what I want to get at, that we can experience grief in most areas of our life. And um, even the idea of as a nutrition, as a nutrition expert, like that grief of, oh my gosh, like I am not that person anymore. What do I do? So there is grief um, in so many areas. Again, I do not feel um, qualified to talk about this at all. But um, when I think about grief, I always want to push it off. And I think um, letting you into how I handled grief a little bit during my miscarriage, um, the second miscarriage might help give you some perspective. And just because you've not had a miscarriage or you've never had pregnancy or um, that you have had an empty womb or you're not even interested in being a mother, I think that we can find a little bit of ourselves in everybody's testimony. So come along with me. When I originally started writing this outline, um, I was procrastinating. Um, I hated Back in the old days when I lived in Indianapolis, I hated washing the the toilet and the bathroom. Like that was something I absolutely hated. And talking about and having to face my grief of this miscarriage was not just about the miscarriage. Um, and I used and I went and like I used every excuse possible in the book. I even started doing chores around the house, like scrubbing that stinking toilet out of avoiding dealing with uh, grief. It's hard. Grief is painful. And I think it was painful because I was scared. I was scared because grief is something much bigger than me. And it definitely is above my education level. I've not studied grief much in detail past my education degree. And, and I was intimidated, intimidated about grief. I, I guess I could say that I always am. 
Um, I wasn't taught how to go through grief. Um, and I don't want to, I hesitate to use the word properly. It's not the right word, I don't think, but how to work the grief cycle. And yes, we talked about it in school, in college, and in, you know, in even my high school, we talked about it. And I can even see like the cycle, like the chart that I was taught. But I, I don't know that there was ever, um, I learned great through stories. I learned great of watching people go through things. And I really didn't see people going through the grief cycle in a healthy way. And I didn't read about grief or people going through grief in a healthy way either. So um, I'm pretty sure that having to go through grief yet again for miscarriage is what held me up and made me feel really scared. But after much prayer, much waiting, I felt the Holy Spirit wash me with a new perspective of grief. And again, I don't have to be an expert on it. Rather, I can find experts to help me organize this important idea of grief so that it may be useful for those that maybe experiencing miscarriage or those walking alongside us experiencing miscarriage or for those who just simply struggle with grief in whatever situation is happening. So I want to go through this and this this episode is a little bit different than the others and um, there are going to be three sections. We're going to define grief, we're going to define the why, and moving past the why. And then in each of these sections along the way, I'm going to... Um, share with you difficult stages of where I started accepting my miscarriages. All right, defining grief. So that we're on the same level, I begin with the dictionary definition of grief. Dictionary.com defines grief as keen mental suffering or distress over affliction or loss. Sharp sorrow, painful regret. The word keen has connotations of something sharp. We can conclude that grief is full of suffering, sorrow, and distress that can be categorized as sharp pain. The Canberra Times published an article about grief, and this was, I think, like five years ago, six years ago, no, seven years ago. They said, to be human is to connect. When these connections are disrupted and challenged by death, we experience a sense of loss. Our personal experiences and reactions at this time are what we understand to be grief. And that was actually done in 2015 from Canberra Times. This perspective of grief, though, resonated deep within me. Like, I was once physically connected to the baby in my womb one moment, and in the next, life was gone. When we are pregnant, we have a physical connection to that baby. That physical connection is then disrupted by miscarriage. It makes sense then that the reactions and experiences we have after are called grief. The grief of miscarriage is real. So I just want to make that point very clear. The grief of miscarriage is real. Grief during miscarriage is unique, though. In fact, a loss of a baby by miscarriage during the, the perinatal period is profound, life-changing event for the parents. It is, remember in the episode, Support and Expectations, we already know that some people around us may not understand our grief. We know that they may say things meant to comfort us when really it hurts us. Let's face it, miscarriage is painful all around. This is why we need to understand what grief really is and what it looks like. Grief has stages. I knew about the stages of grief. I mean, I've studied them a few times. I intellectually knew them. I've even grieved over people I've lost in my life. Until this point, though, I never really thought about the implication of these stages in my own experience with miscarriage. 
So I have a chart. I've created a chart for you and the link is in the show notes. Sometimes people don't understand what show notes means. It means that if you are on Apple, for example, you can just like click on your app and where my graphic is, you can just slide up. So like touch in the middle of your screen and slide up and you will see all this text in like purple links and things like that. If you are on any other platform, there is a, you do pretty much the same thing. Or if you're online, you will also see it if it says like notes or read more about this episode. That's where you will find the show notes. But I'm going to put in there a link to, for you to download this, uh, a PDF that walks you through um, what gr- what grief is. It walks you through um an assessment pretty much to see where you are. If you find yourself stuck in a specific area for what you consider a period that's too long, or if you're really struggling to see acceptance and it's affecting your life, definitely, definitely, definitely please seek out professional help. Your obstetrician or a family doctor is a perfect place to start depending on what you need. But I'm going to go over this. And again, if you get access to this and you want to download it, absolutely do it. Um, But anyway, the grief cycle in order. Number one is denial and isolation. The definition is that there's a numbness and disbelief that this couldn't have happened to me. This idea and that that um, statement in that phase is a mental mechanism designed to protect your psyche from the trauma of loss. How it may look, though, you may isolate yourself from others. You may continue to do normal tasks, thinking things will just fix themselves. So basically ignoring that there is a problem. Stage two in the grief cycle is anger. It is how it looks and how, I mean, sorry, the definition of, of the anger in the grief cycle is a, it is desperate to pin the blame for such a sense, a senseless tragedy on something. You may blame it on yourself. Like I must've done something wrong to cause this miscarriage or if I'd just been happier about the pregnancy, the baby would still be alive. Or you may blame others, God, for letting this happen, your practitioner, even if there's no reason to. You may even feel resentful and envious of those around you who are pregnant and who are parents and even have fleeting feeling, feelings of hatred for them. How does anger look? Lashing out and placing blame on someone or something else physically lashing out, exercising to release steam, seeking substance abuse, gossip, putting others down for being able to get pregnant without implications or without complications. If you are seeking substances or physical aggression, please seek professional help. There is no shame in asking for help, even at your lowest of lows, okay? I've had to do it myself too. The third step of the or the third phase of the grief cycle is bargaining. And this is the normal reaction to feelings of helplessness and vulnerability. And it's often um, out of a need to regain control. How does this look? If only we'd sought medical attention sooner. If only we gotten a second opinion from another doctor. If only we had tried to be a better person toward them. Secretly, We may make a deal with God or our higher power in an attempt to postpone the inevitable. This is a weaker line of defense to protect us from the painful reality. Bargaining is like our last protective mechanism that keeps us from our reality. Stage four is depression. 
definition is you may find yourself sad most or all of the time, crying constantly, unable to eat, sleep, or be interested in anything or otherwise function. You may also wonder if you'll ever be able to have a healthy baby. How does this look? Fear. Fear that you won't be able to have another baby. Wondering if it's okay to even think of the next baby. Feeling loss of control. Using this time to say goodbye. Acceptance is stage five or phase five of the grief cycle. Definition. Finally, you'll come to terms with the loss. Keep in mind that this doesn't mean you'll forget the loss. Just that you'll be able to accept it and get back to the business of life. How does this look? You're able to continue daily tasks without overwhelming emotions. Able to discuss the miscarriage as an event that happened but not caused debilitating emotions. Now that we know what grief is, what it looks like, we need to be aware that there are consequences of grief. Having experienced grief, I should have known, but grief can be a great cloud, can't it? A cloud that just covers everything. I didn't even begin to think that grief could even possibly have consequences, or at least I didn't look at it that way. As I dug further for research and understanding, a common theme came through. The theme that there isn't much support or awareness of miscarriages aftermath. There tends to be this clinical approach where the woman's body is preserved and, and able to be healed appropriately. And then that's the end of the support a woman receives. One article I came across in the Journal of Obstetric and Gynecologic and Neonatal Nursing was quite point, pointed by saying, the consequences of intense grief due to perinatal loss may include significant couple relationship issues, depression, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress that may extend into the subsequent healthy pregnancy. Here we see the author of this research um, pinpointing the areas a woman will struggle after miscarriage. After that first miscarriage I had, I had no clue what to expect. I didn't even know that miscarriage was something that happened to people, let alone me. My first miscarriage was before my oldest son. For the duration of my second pregnancy, the one that ended in the birth of my son, I was terrified. The same occurred with my third pregnancy. It was also successful. I had a daughter, but I was often paranoid that I couldn't feel her move. The fear was so bad that my husband tried to go right out and buy a fetal heart Doppler. The fourth pregnancy, I was terrified from the get-go. The fear never seems to end. There are other consequences of miscarriage that we often don't think about until we're faced with them. And I honestly didn't think about it much this time around, you know, the second time around of this miscarriage. But I was quickly reminded of this consequence, though, when I ran across a newspaper article entitled, At Area Church, the smallest caskets are the heaviest. I'm going to read that again. I was quickly reminded of this consequence, though. This consequence that I never even thought about until I ran across the newspaper article entitled at area church, the smallest caskets are the heaviest. In this column written by Jessica Reynolds, I was taken aback when I realized I will never be able to choose outfits for my child. This group of women gathered once a month to create layettes for women who have lost their babies all too soon. Their premise is here 
Here, in this one moment, she can choose a layout for her son or daughter. Isn't this true, though? Isn't this painful to think about that the child we had hoped for or were surprised to know was to come to this world will now not wear those layouts we pass in the stores? We no longer need that crib that may be set up in the nursery or in the boxes in the garage taking up space. Simply, we no longer have the need for anything baby. And that hurts. And that hurts in and of itself. I told you I was breaking this um, episode into three parts. The first one was talking about grief and and kind of um, saying what grief is. And the second one um, is why. The why. Knowing those baby items we pass by in the store or that we, that we, the, knowing those baby items we pass by in the store or that the, or that we box up to store in our closets bring us to a place of asking why. We come to a time in our periods of grief where we focus on why our miscarriage had to happen to us. I ran this idea past my husband um, and I told him, miscarriage leaves us empty. There's nothing there to mourn. And he agreed. Miscarriage provides such a unique time of grief. We need to, we need an explanation because we've come accustomed to the scientization. I totally said that wrong. Scientization of death. And every death must, must have an outcome or a cause. For example, when someone is diagnosed with cancer and then passes away, we have a reason for the death. We can grasp the idea of death with the mere utterance of cancer. When we test positive for pregnancy, everything is exciting, nauseating, literally. And there are hormonal shifts in the body that rev up and bring uh, rev up in order to bring forth life. It is a hope filled period of time. There isn't a reason to equate a positive pregnancy test to death. Thus, miscarriage often causes an abrupt change in our physiological state. While sometimes we are granted explanation of our baby's death, it is more likely that we will never know the answer. The March of Dimes has said, 10 to 15% of all known pregnancies are miscarried. In fact, almost half of all pregnancies end in miscarriage. And that's according to the Miscarriage Association of 2014. The statistics seem overwhelming and hopeless. But knowing is half the battle. If we're prepared for what might be, then the possibility of an upsetting circumstance may not be so debilitating the next time around. But we have to move past the why. And this is the third section of this of this um, episode. We had to like address the why, like that we may never know the why and learn to accept that in some fashion. But then we have to move past the why. We've discovered what grief looks like and the stages that come. We know there are consequences to our grief. And I just shared with you how real our grief is in the midst of possibly never knowing why our miscarriages had to happen. The next step is to move past. Move past asking the why questions and learning to accept what has happened. Have you ever been task with doing something you know is much bigger than yourself. You know, I thought this episode was so much bigger than me, and it is. But moving past the why is even bigger. It's the essence of acceptance. Step five in the grief cycle. I have accepted my miscarriages. 
but it is such a profound or but it is in such a profound way that I learned to accept them. Each one, the acceptance came about differently as well. I struggle with not wanting to share how I came to acceptance and it's very difficult to explain. It's deep and sheds light into my internal internal turmoil and weird wiring of what makes me me. Continuing to keep up the transparency though, I'm offering this up to God to use with it however and whatever he may. I'll begin saying that my early adulthood life was about as rocky as it could be. I gave my life to Jesus and accepted him as my savior my junior year in high school. As soon as that happened, I was taken captive into believing so many lies. I'm fortunate enough to know that I've always known who I was most of my life or who I wasn't rather growing up in a super small town. And when I say super small town, I mean my current church um, membership is bigger than my town's um, population. So growing up in a super small town where the rush hours when the school and the factories let out at the same time, I was watched by a lot of people. I'll address this more in the next episode, but my dad was a deputy sheriff of the county and my mother was one of the town beauticians. Everyone knew my business and I was expected to uphold the family name. There's nothing wrong with any of what I just mentioned, but let's consider a few things. What happens when a girl knows she doesn't belong in the community in which she's been raised? What happens when she seals her identity in Christ? She's tempted. She's given opportunities to lash out in rebellious ways, only for that rebellion to destroy her family. The same girl goes off to college in a large city. She decides to get married while in college. That same family does not show up to support her due to the hurt and re- that, that, that that rebellion had caused. The same girl hears terrible things spoken to her from her family and extended family and friends. One of those terrible things she heard was something to the likes of, you'll just get pregnant and not graduate from college. The painful irony of it. That this girl, me, that my first pregnancy ended in miscarriage when my husband and I so desperately wanted that baby. You see, the loss of that first baby was a sign to me that I was a failure yet again. I failed at doing things the right way. I failed at providing a child for my parents so that maybe they would love me again. I failed at providing my husband his firstborn child I didn't live up to the expectations placed on me, the expectations I placed upon myself. I was alone, desperate. God provided me time to learn my new identity, and that failure isn't part of that. I moved past the why with my first loss once I learned how to allow God to be my fulfillment, not what others thought of me. Others thought of me is what used to fill me, but I learned that God fulfilled me. My second miscarriage isn't as emotionally dramatic as the first. It didn't have the outside issues in 2014 that it did in 2008. What I did have, though, was a desire for God and his will to be done in my life. 
I wanted nothing of me and all of him. I was grounded in Jesus so much that when I went through the grief cycle, when I began asking why, I would verbally say aloud, Jesus. I would whisper his name even when I could barely speak through the pain. Jesus. Remember that his arms and his feet pierced for my transgressions. Jesus. The hole in his side and the crown of thorns. Jesus. The blood dripping out of his body that was 98.5 degrees and it was dripping out of his body with each beat of his heart. Jesus. The one that endured the wrath of my sins because he knew my every need while on that cross. Jesus. He died, was buried, and raised from the dead just like he said he would. Jesus. Jesus, my God, suffered for me. He showed me how to approach suffering because he too suffered. He was a man, fully human, yet fully divine. As my dear friend Paulette says, I choose to follow my God knowing I'll suffer because he suffered for me. There was a moment when Jesus knew his time was coming to die on that cross. How would you expect him to feel at this moment? I kind of envisioned panic attacks, or maybe that would just be me. Knowing I was walking the path to my death would be cause for urgency. Because he was fully human, Jesus did feel overwhelmed. Let's read Matthew 26, 36 through 39 together. Then Jesus went with the disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane. I'm sorry about that. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death Stay here and keep watch with me. So going a little further, he, Jesus, fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. What I want you to notice here is that Jesus admits he is overwhelmed. So much so that he is full of sorrow and troubled. Miscarriage makes us full of sorrow and troubled. We are overwhelmed with what may lie ahead of us. Jesus, in his overwhelmed state, fell face flat on the ground in prayer. He didn't just kneel. He didn't just sit in a chair. He could have. But lying flat, he placed himself in the lowest posture to God, admitting in that physical stance that God is above all creation. Jesus asks God if this cup or impending doom or this death could be taken from him. Have you asked that this miscarriage be taken from you? That you wouldn't have to go through this? I'm sure you have. I I did. Jesus did. The part I want you to notice above all is that Jesus says, yet not as I will, but as you will. He's admitting to God that he doesn't want his impending death on the cross to be taken away unless it only if it is God's will. This is exactly where I came to acceptance with my miscarriage. If Jesus, son of God, the Messiah, can feel overwhelmed, feel inner turmoil, experience physical pain, and then have the pain in his spirit, then I will too. I will feel pain on all levels, and miscarriage is no different. What I need to do, though, is already laid out before me. 
Get in a physical position of nothingness and seek God knowing that my will may not be what he wants for me. Instead, seeking his will be done in and through my circumstances and me. Another great piece of comforting information I found along doing my research was an article in the Journal of Faith and Focus, and it was an article entitled A Complicated Grief, and it delves into the spiritual warfare we wage when dealing with the grief of miscarriage. The author Carrie Weber writes, all we can do is pray, my family keeps saying, though I'm not always sure if saying such things means that we're resigned to seeming helpless or attempting one last ditch effort for control. I know that prayer can change the way we look at the situation. There's an inner turmoil that happens when we want control, and sometimes we think our prayers are part of that. Remember that that God's will thing? Where is our focus when we're praying? We aren't usually in the right frame of mind when praying, or at least I'm not. Weber goes on to say, And I have to believe that while God is not making clinical notes, God is taking note. Even when it feels as though we're, done, we're alone, God sees us being changed by suffering. And even more than that, God accompanies us. God accompanies, accompanies us through that pain, through the numbness, through the disbelief and the unbelief. Our suffering is not in vain. My friends, our suffering is never in vain or it should not be in vain. God shows us how we can change. And while seeking God during our suffering, we will change to be more like him. Seeing his predetermined purpose for this circumstance in our lives. Even though we may know the truths Jesus offers, we can be clouded by the darkness that abounds. Even so, instead of wondering why, we simply persevere. We try to find that joy, to let it transform us and to simply love our way through it all. Because even in our worst moments, this is what God does for us. God loves us back from the edge. Let me repeat that. God loves us back from the edge. God looks at us and says, you are so beautiful. I love you so much. You are so beautiful. I love you. I love you. You are beautiful. Even though God knows we can't fully comprehend. I'll leave you with a quote from Lisa Turkhurst. She says, instead of asking why me, ask God to help you see how good can come from even this. There is still good in everything that comes our way. God is the same no matter our circumstances. So then, how do we face the grief? Jesus.